This is Geeks Unleashed, episode 44. Sorry, sorry, my bad. You started started to say something, I was like, what? Sorry, okay. Let's have my cup of tea. Uh... (laughs) Hello, welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 44. I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. Each week, we cover the news of the week, and we pick a couple of things to review that call our fancy in TV, comics, movies, and games. This week's reviews are Season 2 of A Discovery of Witches on AMC+, and Godzilla vs. Kong on HBO Max in America, but can rent it over here on Amazon Prime. And spoiler warning, this is a review show, so if you have not had a chance to watch Discovery of Witches Season 2 or Godzilla vs. Kong, you might want to pause this and come back later, and then at the very end, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. Wow, we that was that was fun. It took us about 35 minutes to get through the intro this week. <laughs> you won't hear that. Well, let's do outtakes. Outtakes. Yeah. Outtakes C. Sorry. Um... Do you know what, actually, before I jump into any, like, news and stuff, like, I've been kind of, uh, I was chatting to you earlier about going through and getting familiar with the other people out there that do the same thing as us. Mm-hmm. So, been checking out the uh, First Issue Club, uh, listened to a couple of their episodes and really enjoyed them. And uh, I thought it was pretty cool, like, basically a podcast where they just review the first issues of different people's comics. Um, the Wednesday Pool List as well, which I thought was pretty cool. They got a similar show to us, but obviously just review comics. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm getting quite into another one as well. There's two others as well that I've shared with you, actually. Uh, Fake Geek Girls and uh, Girls Talk Comics as well. Quite enjoyed all of those as well. Oh, another one as well, actually, which I really enjoyed. Paperbacks and Soundtracks. I think mm-hmm. this, this the last two weeks I've been like, I really like just listening to just other people's podcasts. I like I quite yeah. like the, uh, the paperbacks and soundtracks one because they kind of do it like it's like a like a radio show. Yeah. Um, and then, and the fact that they talk about comics and music as well, I thought was quite a unique take on a podcast. Yeah. So. Well, you sent me a bunch of links, but uh, my internet was out for most of the week, so I haven't had a chance to catch up on anything because when I got home from work, all I could do was read whatever was on my Kindle. Um, but some of the other podcasts that I do listen to, there's a uh, the Blurred Girl, I love her stuff. She does uh, live shows every Tuesday, and uh, the For All Nerds podcast. Uh, they do a whole. They keep up with a whole all of the MCU stuff, and their takes on the MCU happenings are just hilarious to me. So those are a couple of the podcasts that I listen to. But I, I do follow. Uh, I do follow Girls Talk Comics on Twitter, and I get a kick out of them. Um, oh, they're constantly so. Um like um tweeting all their crazy drawings and stuff. yes so, uh, i was just uh, gonna say the intentionally bad drawings are like some of my favorite things on twitter <laughs> they're uh, hilarious um yeah no, girls talk comics seem pretty cool as well like i've spoken to them a couple of times on twitter as well so um but no it's cool to just check out other people's stuff so yeah um yeah so we will get into the news jumping right into it so Netflix and Sony have signed a brand new deal. Uh, basically, Sony kind of broke up with stars and is moving on to Netflix come 2022. Um, it is a deal. It's what they call a pay one window, which basically just kind of means exclusivity after the property leaves theaters and has been released on home video. So first service to be able to show the Sony movies outside of the theater is going to be Netflix. So they're going to get some pretty big stuff. They're going to get Morbius. They're going to get uh, Uncharted, 
So, and it's funny because everyone who has Netflix always talks down to the actual films that Netflix has available, like in their libraries. So that would be pretty cool that uh, Sony films will appear on Netflix before they appear anywhere else once they leave theaters. Like, um, and probably the Spider-Man films as well, I would imagine, which I can't imagine Disney and Marvel are too happy about. Uh, well, yeah, because they said Into the Spider-Verse would be coming back to Netflix. So, oh man, interesting times. Yeah, well, um, I agree with you. I agree with you about the um, the Netflix movies, though. They are fairly shocking, most yeah. of them. And, uh, <laughs> it, it seems to me when you go to Netflix, it's just um, really old, rubbish films that no one particularly cares about. I might be wrong, but like there might be a few gems in there. But it seems to me that as everybody's setting up their own platform now, Netflix seems to be losing more and more of the content that kept them going yeah uh, but i would so, say of the streamers netflix probably puts out some of the best original content although amazon prime is really starting to step up their game as far as original content goes too oh yeah no they took the tv shows that netflix mm-hmm. puts out they they are much better than what amazon puts out and they put out a lot more original yeah. content uh disney i know they're new to the game but their original content has taken over over a year and i know mm-hmm. covid was the main reason for that but so hopefully, as time goes on, Disney will step it up. But Disney are only putting out high quality content, though, like movie movie budget. Content. Oh yeah, Netflix so. doesn't appeal to. The, I mean, they don't abide by the high quality only. Like they put out some pretty awful things too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they seem to be going with the um, approach that uh, it doesn't really matter whether it's good quality yeah. or not. Just get it out. Content, there, content, like. content. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's a fan for everything. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> We reviewed, we reviewed actually, oh, I've forgotten. Oh, yeah, Cursed, the first three episodes of Cursed. And normally, like, I might go back and carry on watching something like that we've started watching, but Cursed was so awful. Like, it's just. Uh, yeah. It's not I, I, I wanted better of that one because honestly, I love a good King Arthur tale. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I love that story and I think it's a, it's a translatable story, but uh, that version was just not it. Oh, yeah, I love, like, um, King Arthur and Merlin type stuff. And I remember talking about that a lot, actually, when I was, like, I went into this, like, high expectations and came out there with, like, such low expectations <laughs> or like, low, low, low feelings as well when I came out with. But, yeah, no, Netflix uh, Netflix with their movies, though, their original movies, like, we have a constant joke that they has a cast <clears throat> of three. Like, you yeah. know, uh, <laughs> you've only got enough actors, enough money to pay for three actors. Like, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, we didn't put <laughs> it as a, a separate news item, but they did just sign that 400 and what was it, $26 million deal to have the next two sequels for Knives Out. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So that's going to be, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. So I, I guess Netflix is still relevant so yeah. for now. They are. <laughs> Uh, I think there's Netflix aren't going anywhere. They, they, no. they are big. They, I think they're just having to restructure themselves. And also, you got the middle world stuff come in. Like, um, uh, again, we didn't put it down, but Jupiter's uh, Legacy as well. Mm-hmm. The trailer came out for this uh, that this week. Uh, did you watch the trailer? No, I haven't. I'm on the fence about it. Like, I know that was something you and Stephen have been talking about for a while. So I need yeah. to I need to catch up and and see what that's about. I've never read any of the comics of it. I'm not, I don't know. I'll watch it, but like, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll both watch it, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I might be surprised. It might be really good, but I wasn't, the trailer I just felt was okay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was 
But then again, I think if a trailer shows you too much, it can kind of ruin it. So maybe yeah. they just wish, well, maybe they're holding back. Um, it, it was a good trailer because I didn't really feel like I knew enough about what was going on. But yeah, so Netflix, uh, Netflix is still putting out some good stuff. And like, yeah, they've got the middle world stuff and hopefully we'll see some more coming out. So anyway, um, Spider-Man news, but we're not talking about Homecoming or anything related. Uh, it's Into the Spider-Verse 2. There's a rumour uh, that Christopher Daniel Barnes is in negotiations to reprise his uh, voiced role of Spider-Man from the 1990s animated cartoon. Um, so, yeah, he's supposed... Uh, sorry. It could be more of a cameo than maybe the, oh, like a you know, a bigger role. Yeah, it didn't, uh, didn't seem like he would have a big role like uh, Peter B. Parker did in the first <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse. Do you know what? When I saw this news earlier in the week, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, and yeah. if they do that, though, it'd be brilliant if they brought in like other Spider-Man voices as well. That we, I think that they're going to have to, right? But they also said that it's going to be in the same animation style as the 90s cartoon. So that'll be... I think that was one of the best features of Into the Spider-Verse was the different animation that they kind of all brought into one film. That was just a spectacular film, in my opinion. Oh, that, you know, that was one of the best animated movies sort of ever. Yeah. Oh, it it was definitely, it was, it came out the same year as Black Panther, I think. So 2016. And it, it's hard for me to pick which of those two movies was my favorite movie of the year. But sometimes I have to give the edge to Into the Spider-Verse. It was so good. I don't know if you've ever seen... I in the I was it the eighties or something the original Teenage Mutant we got in the UK we called it Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles and um, do you remember the, there was the Ninja Turtles the animated yeah. series which had Krang in it and all that yeah remember that? I loved so, that series so you know how they had a more current um, one. I don't know five or six years ago. Yeah, with Stephen Hamill. Yeah. So, did you know that there was a crossover episode with that where they, I, they, and they had the same animation style, so they crossed it over with the original one from the eighties. Oh my goodness! Um, and they kept the animation style from the eighties. Uh, so it was a pretty, that was a pretty cool episode. So I, I thought, like, I remember watching that. I, was, oh, I can't remember now, like two thousand sixteen or something. That was quite a while ago. But yeah, it was quite cool that they had the animation of both the series. They did yeah. I update them. So I like that. That's cool. All right, moving right along. We're getting back into the DC drama. This is this is just a never-ending saga, and it is fascinating to keep up with. <clears throat> so after uh, all of the fallout with Ray Fisher coming forward and his accusations against Joss Whedon, this, that, and the other. We finally have uh, one of the screenwriters, Chris Terrio. He was a screenwriter on Batman versus Superman. He was also a screenwriter for Justice League. Um, he, <laughs> he came out and he did an interview with the Hollywood Reporter where he basically trashed the theatrical version of Justice League. He said he watched it a few weeks before, the, before it was released in the theaters. And he actually started to put in motion how he could take his name off of this film. He did not want to be credited as a screenwriter because he was so against the version that actually was going to be into theaters. Um, but he said that unfortunately everything was too far along and he didn't want to slow down the release date by making them recut a lot of the things that they had already printed and, you know, marketing materials and that kind of thing. But uh, some, some of the things that he brings to light 
uh, are some of the things that Ray Fisher has been saying for almost a year now, where uh, he actually said in his interview, his quote is, Zack Snyder and I always considered Cyborg's story to be the heart of the movie. He has the most pronounced character of any of the heroes. Um, he's he is whole and he is loved. And he said that him and Zack wanted to make sure that because the film had a white writer and a white director, that they both had the perspective of an actor of color, which was very important to them. And that's why Ray Fisher had such a huge, well, like Ray Fisher's input was such a huge impact and part of what they built into Victor Stone slash Cyborg story. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting because that's the first time that anybody from behind the scenes has admitted kind of what Ray Fisher has been saying the whole time. Not that I'm saying I didn't believe Ray Fisher when, you know, when he came out and said what he said, I, I believed him, but it's, it's just the never ending saga. So every, it's like every week there's a new piece of this DC puzzle that comes forward. Um, but I thought that Chris Terrio's comments were pretty damning when he said he watched the theatrical cut, hated it so much. He, he tried to get them to take his name off the film, but it was too far along. I mean that's that's pretty damaging in itself. Like yeah. take my name off this stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Um, and he said he also said that you know he understood that people would have issues with the with the Snyder version that was released. He said, but I'm happy to debate with people on my actual merits. If they didn't like the story that we were trying to tell, if they didn't like the pacing or whatever, whatever. He said that's fine. He said, but I didn't want to debate people about something that was so not what I had envisioned and not what I had put to paper. Uh, when he was talking about the theatrical version. So I thought that that was, that was just, that's, it's wild for a screenwriter to, to finally come out and say that they were so pissed off with the final product that they wanted to take their name off of it. Didn't um, something similar happen with um, Fantastic Four, the 2015 version? Was it um, Josh Trank tried to get, didn't the director try to get his name taken off that as well? Like, <laughs> that um, sounds familiar, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was something like that. Yeah, but it's, it's not... It's a shame that he's come out with this so late, but it's good yeah. to see that there is more support of Ray But it's Fisher. also good to see that th what the fans had been saying from the beginning, because I remember when I walked out of the theater, when I saw Justice League, my first thoughts were, I really, really, really wanted more of Cyborg's story. Like he was, he was, it, it was crazy to me how I came out of that film and especially being a huge Batman fan, I came out of that film and Cyborg was my favorite character from the film. Uh, so it just goes to show that there, there was so much more going on with that character and it just kind of got butchered for the theatrical version, which is really unfortunate. You know, the Snyder Cut, it was so good. I enjoyed it. I'm glad we dedicated a whole episode to it last yeah. week. And um, Cyborg and the Flash standout characters. From oh, yeah. Movie. Uh, to be honest, though, they, they all were good. Yeah. But they were all... Other than the Flash and other than Cyborg, they all seem to have a lot of screen time in their previous movies and in the original Whedon version. So mm -hmm. the fact that these two characters haven't yet managed to have their own movie mm -hmm. and and they this, this was basically was their only movie and they got such minor roles. So right. I enjoyed the Snyder Cut for the fact that it actually gave a much more team dynamic and a much fairer approach. Mm -hmm. I would almost say that Superman had the least amount of screen time in the Snyder Cut. So. Which is fair because Superman has had so, there's been so many iterations of Superman. 
Yeah, yeah, and also he had Man of Steel and right. Batman and Batman versus Superman, Superman. Uh, and you know, really, he came out of that four-hour movie. I think he comes in in the last hour, which mm-hmm. is which is fine by me. I was cool with that. So, and also when you get like Superman rock up, I mean, if he'd have been there in the beginning, Stephen Wolf wouldn't have really been a threat. So, yeah. um, I think it's good to see more support of Ray Fisher. I hope that somehow things can get turned around. I said it last week. I'd love to see the Snyderverse get restored. Other, yeah. other than other than the apocalyptic storyline, which I, yeah, I don't. I think if you bring him back, I think that's where he wants to head it. So. Maybe, well, maybe. I just want them to, I, I want, I don't know, I guess the executives or whoever's in charge over there at Warner Brothers, pull your head out of your own ass, apologize, and give us a cyborg film. That's what we want. And a Deathstroke movie. <laughs> I want to, do you know what I would love? Deathstroke versus Batman. Like, pure that would Deathstroke. be fun. That would be such a good film. Get Ben Affleck back. Do something. Yeah. Like, let him fucking write the movie. Yeah. Like, you know, just, if that's what it takes... Just get him in, or get him to write the movie with somebody. Like if, if you know, if they're, if they're a bit concerned about, does he know his comic book background? You know, maybe get him to write it with some, with I don't know, get James Tinian on it from the current Batman comic, and maybe do a joint joint feature together or something like that. And mm-hmm. like just put put, um, you know, Deathstroke versus Batman would be amazing. Like, that would be cool, or even or even something around that. Like you know, I would love that. So. Yeah. That's me. But I don't know. I don't know what Ron and Brothers are doing. So neither do they. I, I was just about to say, I don't think they actually know what they're no, doing. No, they, they don't just, have a clue. I think they wake up a different day and go, shit, let's do this. Yeah. And then next week they go, actually, do you know what? Let's actually change what we were just saying yeah, last exactly. week. Fuck right. it, let's do this instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, I, I, they seem to be applying that to everything that they own. So Excellent. anyway, uh Paramount have delayed 10 movies. So Snake Eyes, previously scheduled for October 22nd, 2021, has now been moved to, well, it's actually... That one, I moved uh, up. It's the only one. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, this is a bit of a surprise. Uh, July 23rd, weirdly. Everything else, however, uh, Jackass, previously scheduled for September 3rd, has moved to October 22nd. Top Gun Maverick has moved from July 2nd to November 19th. Which is um, weird. It, that is, to me, like a perfect Fourth of July movie. I can't, I can't understand why they push that back. I November mean, I guess, seems like a bit of a dead month to drop a movie in. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess COVID and you know vaccine rollout and all that stuff, but that just seems like a missed opportunity to not release Top Gun around Fourth of July. Yeah, and then the forever delayed Mission yeah, Impossible seriously. Seven. <laughs> that movie's Previous... been delayed what two years now at this point oh yeah and then well we only got to mission impossible 8 yet so uh <laughs> mission impossible 7 previously scheduled for november 19th that last shout has now been pushed to may 27th 2022 so oh, it's crazy now yeah uh there's an untitled bg's movie uh that's been announced for november 4th 2022 so i mean they're not even bothering with this year yeah uh <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, which was previously scheduled for May 27th, 2022, has now been moved to March 3rd, 2023. Yeah, no. Did did you watch the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, by the way? No. Oh, so good. (laughs) I'm not a Dungeons and Dragons, like, board gamer. Yeah, I've never played it. 
No, no, I've never played it, but like, I think the cartoon was based off it, but I, I used to watch it as a kid. It was brilliant. Anyway, the untitled Star Trek movie, which I think they've been talking about since 1997. Yeah, um, well, they just, I just <laughs> saw something else about that, uh, I want to say yesterday. So that one's, that's pretty new. Um, that's been announced now for the 9th of June, 2023. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I don't even get excited about 2023 at this point. That's, uh, that's just uh, so far out. I would love to see more Star Trek. I really want Chris Pine back. You know, yeah. I want to. I want There was talk of Chris Hemsworth, and you know, I just think they, they, they're apparently they're not willing to take the money that they're willing to offer. So, Chris Pine is so good as Kirk. He's to me, he's better than Shatner, uh, mainly because he's less campy, but he's still damn charming. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Shatner was for that time so mm. but then everything was campy about that you know yeah you have, you have buck rogers and like, <laughs> i remember some of those tv shows about that the time tunnel the uh the land of the giants all that you know it's all all crazy stuff do you yeah. remember the land of the giants and the never time heard tunnel? of it Oh, they were like 60s and 70s TV shows, like um american ones like you know they, they were all of i didn't time. watch tv that old no, I, I, it was over here. It got shown over here, obviously, on repeat. And um, my mum used to watch it. <laughs> so, I don't even remember uh, stuff like from the 80s. I only, the like some of the earliest TV shows I remember are, I don't know, like dramas, like in the heat of the night and that oh, kind of stuff. Know. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, Mission Impossible 8, previously scheduled for the November, sorry, for November 4th, 2022. Again, Another 2023 movie will be dropping on the 7th of July. And just announced the shrinking of Treehorn, November 10th, 2023. And there's an untitled Ryan Reynolds, John Straczynski movie has been announced for November 17th, 2023. All of those 2023 movies and 22 movies, I don't really care. I, I mean, yeah. I guess, I guess, I, I guess they have to announce the scheduling, like, but. Who cares at this point? Yeah, that's just too far out. I'm at the point where it's like, I just want everything to be reopened now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at the point now where it's like, I got my second vaccine shot this week. So there's a, a Demon Slayer movie. The Mugen Train is coming to theaters April 23rd. So like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, can I go see that movie in theaters? Well, yeah, like, am course, I going to be okay? The, but that's the whole thing. If you've been vaccinated, you should yeah. be able to go out. So... If, you, if you're still not going out and you've been vaccinated, then what was the point? Like, yeah. So, um, and as more, I mean, don't get me wrong, there is a, probably a chance of COVID, but now if you get COVID, the vaccine should be sufficient. That's what it says on the tin, should get you through. Right, to keep you from be, being seriously affected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be like, like, I don't know, it might be that you'd spend a week in bed sick, potentially. Yeah. I'm no scientist or doctor. Please don't take my advice. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, I, the way I see it is if you've had vaccine, especially if you've had your second vaccine, and then you go out and you get COVID, this is what, how it should be with all vaccines, you know, like the flu jab and all the rest of it. Like, if you get it, you shouldn't be as ill if you had had no vaccine. So, right. Like, well, I would even if I go to the theater, I would still wear my mask. But uh, I definitely definitely want to see demon slayer in theaters so oh the moment they get rid of masks i'm done with those things so, <laughs> so i went to went to get takeaway today and i'm trying to talk through a mask she's like what and i say again what 
in the end, I had sort of had to put my mask forward a little bit so I could actually say it. It's, like, it's so difficult to actually have some sort of conversation with someone. Well, she's wearing a mask, I'm wearing a mask, and there's a screen between us. So I was like, how to buy it? Just give me a bit of paper and a pen and I'll write it down. <laughs> Let me just so, pass you my order through the window. <laughs> well, yeah, like I'd say, yeah, I'm, I mean, I haven't had the offer of the jabs yet because they haven't made their way down to my age group over here yet. So, yeah. Uh, they opened it up pretty much to everyone. I think next week is the deadline for them to open it up to the entire country. Well, anybody over 18. So, yeah, I stood in line. Like, when I got my first shot, uh, I was in and out. And, well, I had to sit for 15 minutes afterward to make sure that you don't have any side effects. So the whole thing took about third, 40 third, minutes. Third arm growing out. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. The, the second time I went, oh, my God, I, I was in line to get into the building for an hour and 40 minutes. I read seven chapters of an ebook standing in line. Like it was, it was crazy. What book was that? Um, it's this cheesy romance novel that I've been <laughs> reading. <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> I, I've read like, I don't know. I, somebody gave me an Amazon gift card. So I've been buying up all of these like digital, like Kindle books there. I mean, they're like all, 99 all cents or $1.99. So it's, it's all these digital shit books. Yeah, they're, but they're like novella size, so they're not full novel length. And so, I mean, you can read them in like a day and a half. So I've probably read eight novellas in the past two weeks. They do do Deal of the Day on Kindle. Like, have you looked at those? Mm-mm. I actually have been reading so much that I thought about getting Kindle Unlimited, but I already have Comixology Unlimited. And I was like, no, I don't think I need Kindle Unlimited. Anyway, we've promoted Amazon enough. So... <laughs> Uh, we don't get paid no this. we sure don't we'd love to though amazon oh, yeah, if you're yeah. interested in sponsoring our podcast we we happily have a talk with you <laughs> anyway a discovery of witches dun, dun, dun. you've stayed too long adopted a child and stolen a book from the Habsburg emperor i was here before Stephen. i'm aware of that matthew yes we screwed up you broke the rules of time walking to observe, not participate. Okay, based on the All Souls trilogy by Deborah Harkness, it is a 10 episode series which has been released over here um, uh, on Sky and in America on AMC. It stars a whole lot of people. It's written yeah. as well by a, a variety of people too. Uh, Kate Brook. Uh, Tom Farley, Charlene James, and Sarah Dolard. It's directed by, again, by a whole bunch of people. Um, so uh, Sarah Walker, Alice Troughton, I think. And, uh, Juan Carlos Medina. Yeah, there you go. Like, step it in there. Um, <laughs> uh, but it still has a whole lot of people that you should hopefully remember from the first season as yes. well as an extreme amount of new cast yeah pretty well, much but... every single person from the first season is back oh yeah but plus a whole bunch plus of a people. whole second season uh, yeah people. yeah it's a, it's so, a lot yeah it, it went from one thing to another anyway Tra- Teresa palmer's back matthew good's back um edward uh Blumel, Aisha Hart, Owen Teal, Alex Kingston. Who doesn't know Alex Kingston? Like, so, um, 
Valerie uh, Pettiford, Trevor Eve, Lindsay Duncan, James Purefoy, who is probably my standout for this whole season, uh, Stephen Cree, Tom Hughes, um, Michael Lindford, Elaine Cassidy, Sheila Hancock, Paul Reese, Holly Aird, Adele Leonce, and there's probably so many other people too. <laughs> so this season before getting into it what i did was because it's been quite a while 2018 was when season one came out which was only eight episodes and i remember picking it up a little bit later after it came out and i'd put it on and i was like actually this is pretty cool like, mm. and i normally kind of dismiss english type things or don't really give them as much opportunity as i should and um i have to put my hands up for that uh anyway i watched the first eight episodes within like a day and i was like wow this is bloody amazing well, i loved it so i was i was just like yeah i thought it was so good like mm-hmm. you you enjoyed the first season as well didn't oh you? i loved loved the first season so just a bit of recap diana bishop the main character played by Teresa palmer is the female lead and then we've got matthew good who plays matthew claremont and um how good he had the same name as his character so, <laughs> <laughs> And he plays the hundreds and hundreds of year old vampire where um, Diana Bishop is a witch, but kind of season one is basically she's a clumsy witch. She doesn't want to know being a witch. She just wants to be human. She's a professor. And then she, but she's also bound. So she can't use her powers in the first season. Well, yeah, but she didn't know that originally either. She just just initially just didn't want to be like interested in the powers or being a witch she just wanted to live a normal human life however that option gets taken away from her quite early on in season one in the first episode she goes to a library and somehow or other comes across this book that people have been looking for for a long time and when she opens it up things go crazy like you know it kind of almost a bit like that whole man of steel ripple wave that comes out of his mouth and wakes yes. up those mother boxes it was very similar to that although there you saw no wave but like as she's reading the looking through the box uh, book sorry uh, season one uh suddenly all these big different creatures start to become aware of it whether they're witches or whether they're vampires or whatever and they know that it's sort of originated from this library and people very quickly latch onto the fact that it was diana that picked up this book mm-hmm. uh, initially matthew's interest is relating to this book because there's a much bigger thing at play here because witches are losing their powers vampires, vampires are dying out yeah vampires are dying out we don't really know what's going on there's yeah. this whole mystery with this book there's a much bigger thing to this book and we I, by the end of season two we still, still don't really have the overall answer to the book but so matthew becomes interested in diana Throughout season one, they go from meeting, having a bit of flirtation, suddenly completely falling in love, and mm-hmm. being, you know. Uh, and Diana's introduced to Matthew's vampire mother and vampire family, and and that kind of thing uh, at their sort of family home. And the, Diana's becoming sort of hunted by her own kind, you know. Um, uh, and they're forced to basically go back in time. Uh, so Peter Knox is kind of the main guy that's after her in the, in the present. And they undo the bounding, which happened, and that happened when she was a child, to protect her from Peter Knox actually discovering mm-hmm. sort of how powerful she is. Right. So they end it with this whole thing that she's, it's season one that she's this um, like time walker and can, can jump back in time. 
and they jump back in time to Victorian England and um, well, Elizabethan uh, England actually. When they jump back in time, you don't really get any teasers, which I know some shows do that. They kind of make my jump in time sort of halfway through the last episode and maybe give you a 20 minutes of what's going on, but they kind of they, 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 they jump and you don't know what's happening. Yeah, they jump and then season one ends on yeah. that massive clip, cliffhanger of whether or not they both made it. Yeah, because it, it was a bit it was a bit confusing as to whether they both were going to go or not. So yeah. then season two starts up with them arriving. And this is where, like me and Jasmine were just speaking about this before we recorded. I, I just want to get out there. I love season one. I, I really did enjoy it. I loved everything about season one, but it was very big it was almost the polar opposite of uh season one so season one was eight episodes and although this is only two episodes more we got to spend a lot more time with the characters in season one and a much smaller cast and it gave us a chance to get to know the, the setting get to know the characters mm-hmm. and I, I you know I, I don't really want to criticize the show because i do really still really loved it and i'm, I'm really excited for season three so I, I kind of, I'm torn as to maybe how they could have done it a little bit more because they, I, I personally feel they could have taken a different approach to it, either to yeah. have released it maybe in two halves. Like, and when I say that, maybe one half in the past and then the other half in the present. Right. Do like Walking much, Dead. If you do the, like Walking Dead does half seasons all the time. Yeah, right? yeah, they do. So. Yeah, yeah. And, fear, yeah. and Fear the Walking Dead does it as well. Yeah. Or my other thought was to split the show alternate episodes and we didn't we did get episodes and moments in the present but they were fewer and far between we kind of had more episodes in the past we sort of had two episodes that was just purely in like the 16th century and then we had like an episode in the past and the present and then it was like i was like so when season two starts and i had two episodes just in the past i was like oh okay so see so season one's characters are just gone are they i i actually assumed that season two was just purely in the past Mm -hmm. um and then when they started to get into season uh two they started to show more and more it was more in the latter half i felt that we got yeah the present um so I, I loved all of the characters from the first season so i was quite disappointed that the earlier part didn't include them mm-hmm. I, but i did love seeing diana and matthew going into the past so when they arrive they they arrive not exactly where they wanted to land um but they end up having to take over matthew's old life and it seems that they're time traveling rather than doing the the cliche and the the cheesy thing of him running into his future sorry into his past self what happens is when you time travel, you displace yourself. So I assume that he goes off somewhere and then blips back again and then has no memory of that kind of event. Well, the way they explained it was that his other self was off on a mission somewhere. Yeah. But then they, they sort of did, did say that he might be displaced or something like that. So, but yeah, they did say that he was off on a mission, but they said he could be displaced or something. Mm-hmm. They, they were they were sort of quite vague about it. I think if he had been on a mission, somebody somehow would have found a way to have contacted him and said, "Look, there's some guy here claiming to be you." Mm-hmm. Like, I I would assume that he's displaced or something. Yeah, Actually, know. what I assumed was so this is jumping ahead a little bit, but in the present day, they have a vampire that starts attacking people in London. And they say that the vampire that's attacking people in London has what they call a blood rage. 
And as soon as they said that, I was like, ah, past Matthew ended up going into the future when future Matthew went into the past. And because he's displaced and confused and doesn't know what the hell's going on, he has like turned on himself pretty much. And my my guess was that past Matthew is the one running around terrorizing London at the moment. However, that storyline is not resolved by the end of the second season. Do you know actually that was a good do you know because that's something that throughout ran throughout the, the present. I was gonna talk mm-hmm. about the present in a minute, but like yeah, that's sort of jumping ahead a little bit. The present storylines had a lot of interesting moments in oh, them, yeah. and I really enjoyed the present storylines. And but that murder mystery thing of this crazy vampire right. running around and killing humans, and he's got this, and we find out throughout season. Yeah, you two, find out, I think in the seventh episode, it's like way later in the season, you find out that blood rage only comes from Matthew's mom's bloodline, period. Yeah. And, and so. they they knew this a long time ago and wiped out most of that line. Right. But they set up this um uh, grandmaster of the Knights of Lazarus. Uh sorry, the Knights they set up sorry, they set up this Knights of Lazarus um uh, cult type thing to protect the family. So yeah, I was like, I was actually thinking we were going to find out who the the murderer was, right. and they they don't tell us. They don't tell us. The, no, the they leave too. they leave that hanging. So I was they you th- you think there is a moment where you're going to find out. So right uh, because he fight whoever that person is. I'm assuming it's a he. It might not be a he, but they fight with Domenico, and like yeah. when he started fighting with Domenico, I thought for sure Domenico would be the one to be like, oh my god, I knew it. But nope. Yeah, I honestly thought that you'd finally find out and yeah. i and, and i did think to myself it's going to be like one of these jaw drop moments but yeah maybe yeah maybe maybe that it's, it's got to be somebody for us to to be surprised about now because right. they've kind of set it up if it's just some unknown character i'll be that, like, i probably wouldn't really care yeah that's so that's got, my theory and i'm gonna stick with it until someone proves me wrong so yeah. yeah by the third episode that's what i started to think i was like oh blood rage now i bet you i bet you like past matthew got displaced and it's past matthew that is now in the future but then that means then that he would still be in the future so they'd have to find a way of sending him back not so, necessarily because maybe he would go back when they come back but then will we ever then find out who the bloody who the murderer was <laughs> oh. oh it's annoying we'll have to wait <laughs> I'm assuming there's a plan for us to figure this out or get get told. Fingers but, crossed. So, so jumping back to Dino and Matthew, the reason they jumped back was for two things. One, to try and find the book, this um, uh, the book of life. Forget. Yeah, the book of life, but they called it like something else, like Ash Not One Four Six or whatever they called it. Um, they jumped back because they wanted to find a copy of the book in the past, and that is one of the main things that drives the season two storyline for them in the past and where they end up going. Uh, they end up leaving England and going here, there, and everywhere across Europe and meeting different people because they're looking for the book. And they do get the, do get the book eventually. However, when they get the book, it's a sort of a big moment and somebody has the book in their possession and, and some of the pages get ripped out. And you see these pages later on in the future uh, mm-hmm. behind some glass cabinets and um, and somebody else has a copy of the, has one of the pages as well. Anyway, um, but the other reason they jumped back into the past was because Diana was starting to get hunted in season one. They thought if we go back in time, we could maybe find a witch who can train her. Mm-hmm. So she gets starts getting trained. And if you look at the opposite of, um, sorry, she's, she becomes very much the opposite to season one Diana. So season one Diana was, you know, like a noob. You know, she was clumsy. Yeah. She was, you know, and almost, you know, almost very reliant on Matthew. And by the end of season two, she's, very much 
defiant and strong-willed. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, the fact that she goes and does a deal behind Matthew's back right. and, you know, like... And she even yeah. specifically says, like, I have to only give you one drop because I have to make sure that Matthew can't smell my blood on you and this, that, and the other. Oh, yeah, like, and just how she just... The fact that he gives her a knife and she just says no and then just waves her hand over her wrist Mm -hmm. and just a tiny little vein opens and she's come a long way in those 10 episodes and become a very much more confident witch. So I I enjoyed all of the the stuff throughout season one, uh, season two in the past. And when we were seeing it in Victoria, uh, sorry, Elizabethan um, uh, England, I, you know how the road, I don't know if you thought about this, Jasmine, like, but you know how the roads are really narrow, were narrow and the mm-hmm. houses are very close together. So that was a thing that we had back then. And that's how, I don't know if you've heard of the Great Fire of London. Yes. Um, so, and that's how that. Same thing happened in Chicago here. Yeah. So, because all the houses were too close together. So mm-hmm. the fire just. And spread. they were all made of wood. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so when they rebuilt London, obviously they um, didn't put them as close together. So, um, but yeah, so when I saw that, that was like one of the first things that jumped out at me. I was like, wow, the roads are just tiny. You wouldn't even be able to get a car down there. Man, mm-hmm. Imagine imagine if that had never happened. Like, they would have to knock down London. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I loved all of that stuff. And one of the things I loved was that Matthew gets summoned to go and see his father, who mm-hmm. is played by James um, Purefoy. And his father is initially just this nasty piece of work. But you actually see him come round, and almost he has a bit of character development himself. Yeah, because he comes round. He comes round to Matthew, and because Ma- Matthew, I'm assuming, was a very different person, and that's kind of what's implied. I imagine that he was probably a bit of a shit back then, and he's come back with this more, much more modern attitude. And they have this whole thing throughout Discovery of Witches that they don't like the different creatures to bond with each other or right. form relationships with each other, and you're not allowed cross-species uh, relationships here. Yeah, it's completely forbidden. So initially, so that's why Diana is very finds it very difficult to settle into this time period because a lot of yeah. only the humans are okay with her. Any other creatures that she comes across are kind of skeptical, and they all assume that she has done something and like bewitched Matthew in some kind of way. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I loved seeing her initially arrive and it's, you know, he's obviously got a bit of wealth about him back then and some stature and he's got familiarity with the Queen of England and, and you know, he's quite, basically he's a, he's a wealthy guy, Matthew, in the past and she suddenly becomes dressed as like a lady and she has to learn how to speak differently and you know, and, and, you know, even her accent makes her stand out. So I did love ha- that whole her having to adjust to this new period. He had to adjust to it a little bit because he, like he said, you know, I was here 400 years ago. That, you know, who, who remembers 400 years ago? I can barely mm-hmm. remember last week. So like, he's got to adjust a little bit, but he adjusts a lot quicker because it's just him having to familiarise himself. But she has to adjust, you know, very quickly to this new surrounding and essentially this new world. And back then, it's a lot more of a dangerous world, as it proves to be for them a couple of times, especially when she gets sort of kidnapped, sort of taken away by his by psycho sister. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and sort of psycho best mate who fancies yeah. him or whatever. So, um, but one of the real key things I loved was in the last episode when. They're kind of getting ready to go home, back to their present. And actually, they've built quite a nice life for themselves in the past. They, they basically, they've admitted themselves, they stay too long. Yeah. Uh, they 
they've become familiar with people. They've kind of adopted a little boy. They've, you know, they've, they've become all these, you know, familiarities with the past and yeah stuff like that. which my question which is not related to anything but like the kid's name is jack like because they leave does he then become jack the ripper or is 1590 too early for jack the ripper <laughs> i think 1590 is too early for jack the ripper but still no it's too early 18 uh okay okay never so, mind then um Anyway, uh, probably off now. Yeah, but anyway, so in the last episode, one of the things I thought was pretty cool. It kind of starts with one of the witches that's been training her says to her that another time uh, walker has um, arrived, and um, they're walking down one of the streets, and they say, oh, "I can smell coffee." And then Diana and Matthew spin this guy around, and it's one, and it's Diana's father. That was a good. And moment. I was like, I was like, that's a pretty cool twist. Like, yeah. The, the time traveler that arrived is her dead father, but from much earlier in his life before he died. But it was really uh, interesting the way that they kind of deducted that or deduced that because Matthew was like, I smell coffee. And Diana was like, there's no way you smell coffee. Coffee is not introduced to this region for another 200 years. And he's like, no, I for sure smell coffee. Yeah. So he obviously smell of coffee. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But I thought that was a really cool moment. And a lot, a lot of this whole thing the whole jump around time and running into people you know and especially of this this era it made me think a lot of um outlander which i love just you know the classic setting and stuff like that so i, I enjoyed that so you know to, to flip this over the present had a lot of storylines going on not as many however it's kind of starting to set up matthew and diana's return mm-hmm. where there's obviously more political friction between the main characters you know because the the congregation is still like hot on their heels trying to figure out what the hell's going on with those two yeah they're 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 all on on all sides trying to look through history to find signs of diana Mm. and um and matthew and and there's some cool moments as well again like jane jane purfoy's character he he learns unfortunately that he he does die but he doesn't learn when and so he writes a love letter to his wife and he hides it in a book and in the same episode where we sort of say goodbye to his character, you see um, the, the wife of the future um, reading the letter. And I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, because Sarah and Emily felt something that that was not in the chateau before. So it's it's I thought that was really cool how in the present, the past is sort of reshaping the present because Emily and Sarah felt the presence that something has changed. So they tear apart the library. And finally, um, Isabeau finds the letter hidden in a book that, uh, that Philippe left her where he, he talks about, yeah, it's a love letter, but he also talks about Matthew and uh, Diana. And there's also those portraits that they gave to Jack, which wind up in an auction house in present day uh london so it's it's interesting how some of the things that they have done in the in the past have made their way into the present present, i thought that was a really really cool thread that they played with in throughout the season two Mm -hmm. so marcus actually takes on a much bigger role uh, Mm -hmm. this season and you know he's keeps being referred to as the grandmaster of the knights of nazareth and he gets a little bit in the political environment but the part that i found more interesting was him actually forming a love interest and mm. with a human and him deciding for himself that although that's something again that's banned that he if he's the grandmaster of the knights of Lazarus, he can make his own rules so yeah. he decides that he's gonna go fall in love with a human 
and he brings his human girlfriend home to um uh, yeah to france to, yeah to france but he um uh, what's it to um uh, lindsay duncan character isabel yeah isabel uh, de, de clement's uh, house and she's got pretty much everybody now at her house emily mm-hmm. sarah yeah she's got witches like, demons Marcus, vampires yeah, and humans like, you know and, it, and actually uh, marcus's girlfriend makes a comment about how modern they all are when she's mm-hmm. sitting around the table you know yeah like you just said humans death vampires demons etc and they're, they're doing it for themselves and i, I do love that uh, isabel de clermont is at Adaptable. the very beginning of season one she, yes. well, she wasn't if you look at the right. early she, stage of season one she which is she amazing for someone that's a thousand years old like she is like she has realized that change happens more rapidly than you think it does and her character development going from this because even she was almost like she hadn't even forgiven matthew for you know some of the stuff that he had done in his past she had held on to grudges that were centuries old and she's finally starting to realize that you know, maybe it's not as bad as everyone said it was. And and you're right, Marcus's love interest. Um, God, I can't remember her name. Her her real name is Adele. Uh, but in the oh Phoebe, Phoebe Taylor. So in it, she makes a comment, and she's kind of like, the way forward is together. It it really seems like these accords or whatever were meant to keep everybody separate. But when you keep everybody separate, all it does is make everybody paranoid. Um, so I thought that was that was. It's a good message for the current times, really. The the way forward is together. Yeah, well, to be honest, I I I liked um, just seeing the future elements, like the the mixing of all the different species mm-hmm. coming together. I enjoyed the this murder mystery plot that we had going on. I enjoyed seeing Marcus's growth as a character. Marcus annoyed that- the crap out of me though, because he's still incredibly naive. He never ever ever should have opened his mouth to baldwin about anything nothing i don't i don't know what made him think that he could go and tell baldwin about that baby that was so stupid that was just incredibly stupid yeah i guess he's not fully there in his development journey (laughs) but but he he did i did feel there was a element of strength coming in and considering his age as a vampire he does come across almost like the teenage young boy yeah and the, the, he, he did come across stronger and there was growth and i did like i, I liked more of his confidence and it was nice like yeah. i think not being under matthew's shadow However, i think he's coming into his own two. but he definitely needs to come into his own under someone else because that that just made no sense like if maybe if he would talk to uh the the girl that's part of the lab with him and Matthew. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't remember her name. This um, is again, this is the trouble. It's so many people. Like, yeah, we're trying to remember everyone's names. If he would just keep someone else there that is a little less trusting than he is, then it wouldn't be so bad. But like him running around and going to Venice by himself, and then giving Baldwin all that information. And then of course Baldwin is so opportunistic that he goes right to Chaubert and is just like. Like, here's the deal. This is the information. Then, of course, Chabert is already working with Peter Knox. And so it's kind of like you just handed the bad guys all of this information on a freaking silver platter. Way to go. Yeah. Although, if, whenever you watch TV shows, you, there's always someone who does something stupid. And like you say, you're just like, why did you do that? Like, yeah. But in real life, people wouldn't have done that. Well, actually, 
Sometimes people do do stupid stuff. Actually, so. I mean, I think he would have. I think he would have because he he probably feels like Baldwin should be loyal to the Declaremonts because he is a Declaremont. But it turns out Baldwin is just as opportunistic as Domenico. So Baldwin and Domenico, to me, are like almost the same character because they're going to play whatever card they need to play to get their way. And if that means hurting the people that are closest to them, they, they don't really care. So I, I really hope that uh, if there's a season three, in season three, Domenico kind of steps up and exerts like some form of, I told you that I was going to make you suffer. Like, I want to really see him step into the bad guy role. So coming to an end of season two, Diana and Matthew jump back to the future. Well, they're However, supposed to. Well, happen. yeah, but we, we, but we don't see them arrive, which is a bit how season one ends. We end up with this whole sort of big moment in the future where um, Peter Knox kill end up killing Emily, and which is quite sad. Um, yeah. So disappointed by that. We also Marcus is left, I'm assuming, <clears throat> unconscious, laying on the mm-hmm. floor. And uh, we've also got that uh, Diana at some point during season two discovers she's pregnant. So we've got that outstanding. Uh, sort of I hate that. Few, we've got a few balls up in the air shall we say and mm-hmm. i'm assuming that season three is a final season because it's meant to be based off three books so there's a lot to cover in season three so i imagine that season three is probably going to be as packed as season two so, yeah. uh, i, I like season two i did not like season two as much as i like season one um i did not enjoy the past as much as mark did i really like the present day better um so it, it kind of annoyed me that they spent so much time in the 1500s because I really just, I don't, I'm not a big fan of period pieces. Um, well, I, I should say, I'm not a fan of period pieces that are based on actual reality. Like you could consider Lord of the Rings a period piece and I love Lord of the Rings, but anyway. So I prefer the, the present day um, and I just, I love the setting. Like I love the scenes that they film in Venice and on the canals and that kind of thing. It's just the scenery in the series is gorgeous. It's not really, a lot of money really on the scenery. Definitely. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like I keep saying about the walking in the streets, it did feel like a proper, mm-hmm. you know, sort of Elizabethan, you know, Victorian yeah. style road. Um, and they actually put a lot more into the CGI this season because all of the scenes with Diana learning how to weave the threads, that was really cool the the scene with the threads and the scene where she finally uh gets her familiar and she sees a tree of life and and that kind of thing um so you can tell that they put more money into the second season uh it was over full in the sense that there was just too much information to kind of take on but again the second season is really good i just did not enjoy it as much as i enjoyed the first season yeah, no I, no, I did enjoy this season. Um, I think, you know, like I say, money-wise was well spent. Mm-hmm. The you know, the scenery and the the set the sets were really well done. It didn't feel cheap. Uh, strangely enough, when I've been watching Grey's Anatomy this year, which is obviously a big budget, I know in America a big budget ABC show, and it just feels really cheap at the moment. <laughs> if, and, and I think no, but I think a lot of it's due to COVID. Like I think because they've been separating. They, yeah. They, I've seen them do this on another show as well. I don't watch it, but um, Los Angeles. Uh, what's it called? Um, 
in, in CIS Los Angeles and mm. they've, they've separated all the main cast out into different, so that none of the main four casts in, in CIS Los Angeles are with each other because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So they all doing different things. They meet up with other characters, but I'm assuming the reason they do that is because if one of them gets COVID, then you say you've got still three of them there. And right. Grey's, Grey's Anatomy seems to be doing something similar where they're not having a lot of them together. And a lot of the set, and they've had to create like new sets. So like one of the characters is like kind of permanently at home and the home set just looks cheap as anything. And I'm like, <laughs> they, they, they kind of just knock this stuff up overnight where a discovery of witches, the set design. Oh and, yeah. Like you said, the set the design is different. phenomenal. They put a yeah. lot of money into this. Even even in, um, I think it was episode nine or 10 where Diana gets tricked to go on that boat, you know, by the crazy, uh, yeah. the crazy sister and all that. That whole place, it it's really well done by the dock, the dock side and everything mm-hmm. like that. It doesn't look like someone standing against a green screen. It looks right. like they spent some money building a dock and some houses by a dock. I mean, I could be completely wrong. It might be a green screen. I might not realize it, but they've spent, they've done it really well. But so. yeah, it, the the technology upgrade from the first season to the second season is very apparent. Yeah. So, uh, so we're bringing to a close there. But what's any favorite scenes on your side, or favorite any moments that jump out at you, or characters that you sort of you enjoyed? Um, favorite characters. Uh, I don't know. I I, I really kind of like Emily and Sarah. They they were some of my favorites, and Domenico. I just like I said, I love an opportunistic bad guy. So I really kind of want to see Domenico step up and sort of stick it to both uh peter knox and chabert and just show them that the congregation isn't as high and mighty as they think they are i love i loved um i thought it was a good twist bringing in philip de clermont you know playing with mm-hmm. james Purfoy. i thought when i heard oh like my father summoned me i was like oh that's cool so because we know in the in the present he's dead so yeah. i was like okay that's cool so i didn't expect that i didn't expect that we were going to get that thing and then james Purfoy is like the best villain TV villain going. I mean, he was brilliant in um, Alter Carbon, mm-hmm. and the fo- I loved him in the following. Although they kind of played his villainous to death in the following. But uh, did you ever watch the following? No. Oh, he, he was. It, this is the trouble when they get a good villain. He they they need to sometimes realize you need to get a good villain go like go. And uh, they had him around for almost three seasons, which was way too long. So. I, I was happy with two seasons, but once they start bringing him into third season, but anyway, he is a brilliant actor. So for me, his the whole scenery between him and Matthew was just brilliant. I loved all of that. So, and for me as well, I just love seeing Diana's growth throughout this season. Yeah, I, I like that she finally was less whiny and more like in control of mm. what she was doing and in control of the things around her. She didn't let people push her around. She kind of stood up and. She stood up to a lot of people in this season, so it well, was including really Matthew. Good. Yeah, including exactly. Matthew, yeah, and also like because you find out about this blood rage thing, and which is something they introduce in this season rather than the first season. And he's got the, basically the blood rage is like an animal craziness that they right. go through. And Matthew, there's a couple of times where Matthew is about to go berserk, and she each time she just calms him down. Mm-hmm. Like, and she's very confident. Well, the first time a little bit unsure, but the second time, like very confident about it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought, oh yeah, there cool. was one scene where he he was talking about that, and uh, he got mad and he tried to leave the room, and she set the room on fire, and oh, she yeah. was like, "We're still talking," and I was oh, like, "Yeah, I girl, was... you tell her." Like, uh, look here, I'm not done good. talking to you yet. 
I like that. I actually know I did like that when he yeah. goes to storm out and she yeah sets sets the doorway and everything alight on fire yeah. and she yeah like he just said and then she's like we're still talking yeah and she, I thought that was, was like, badass. I was like that's very like that was not Diana. We would well Diana in season one was confident still, but this was like more badass confidence. You know, yeah. it, it was she she still was a bit of a madam in season one, but the there was a lot more confidence here and yeah. a confidence more of her magic as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, I'll sort of bring this to a close. I'm still looking forward to season three whenever that comes out. I'm assuming it'll probably be about two years away, knowing everything that's going on. But yeah. we rated it 3.5 out yeah. of five. So, but we did it. We did both enjoy it really overall, didn't we? So, yeah, definitely. All right. Finally, the entire month of March, we did a monster movie theme. And this movie came out a little later than we had hoped, but. Godzilla vs. Kong is our second review this week. She's the only one he'll communicate with. I knew that they had a bond. She had nowhere to go, so I made a promise to protect her. And I think that in some way, Kong did the same. It is, of course, based on characters, Godzilla and Mechagodzilla from Toho, which is a Japanese production company, and King Kong is uh, from Edgar Wallace and Marion C. Cooper. Screenplay is Eric Pearson and Max Bornstein. The story is Terry Rossio, Michael Doggerty, and Zach Shields. And this film was directed by Adam Wingard. It stars quite a few familiar faces from the franchise, but a bunch of new ones too. So uh, we have Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown, Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, Shun Oguri, uh, Isaac Gonzalez, Julian Dennison, Lance Reddick, Kyle Chandler, uh, Domain Bashir, and Kaylee Hotley. So I have to say, I was very much looking forward to this movie. Um, I'd heard a lot of people talking about... <laughs> Uh, mainly talking about just the level of destruction in this movie and how it was so much greater than all of the ones that came before it. But also a lot of people were saying that the human element was very, very lacking in this film, which on the one hand didn't really bother me so much until I watched the movie. <laughs> and this movie... I don't even I don't I don't know what they were trying to do. Honestly, with this, film. Like, like, this movie was just a disaster. Yeah, it was finish. The the CGI was oh, the CGI fantastic, was of course. Like the CGI was great. All of the monster scenes were great. The amount of or, or the uh, I guess the amount of em emotion and ways that they let both Godzilla and Kong emote was great. Like I felt like they really stepped up their game in terms of bringing a sense of empathy to the monsters but yeah no this is the 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 human element in this film is terrible and the plot makes no sense and of course plot. like that's stupid to say right it's a monster movie they're fighting okay i get it it's a monster movie yeah, like nobody's yeah. looking at this movie for a plot but at least some of the other movies it kind of made sense it was like earth is being threatened by these monsters so another monster kind of comes in and and sets the balance right like far yeah, yeah, so, sure but so it makes sense Godzilla, i was gonna say in the first godzilla we had you know sort of some lower level monsters mm -hmm. and godzilla stepped up but also if you compare this to the first godzilla the first godzilla we, we we both said it was quite boring however there was a 
you know, a big human element. There was mm-hmm. a nice, but there was a good steady build up to Godzilla. There was a, there was actually a plot. There was a story. Yeah. Uh, then, then the second movie, the King uh, Kong uh, movie, Skull Island. Skull Island, Skull yeah. Island. That was brilliant. That was yeah. phenomenal. That's like, still that the best so one good. in the franchise. Yeah, and it was it was funny, action packed. Mm-hmm. It, it had a story, had a plot. Right. It was well thought out from start to finish. You could buy into what the characters are doing. Then the yes. second film, Godzilla versus the Monsters, King of the Monsters. Again, sorry, mm-hmm. King of the Monsters. Sorry, uh, King of the Monsters. It, yeah, again, there was a plot. It right. was, it was clear, obvious. You know, the, and you could get involved. Why the humans were trying to help Godzilla because he he's you know you need a Titan, but he's exactly. a good Titan rather than the um, Monster Zero, who's a bad yeah. Titan, and they wanted to support Godzilla. It was it, again well structured. You movie. could follow it. It made sense. Yeah. It, it, yeah. If you suspended your belief of reality and just looked at it in terms of this specific monster verse all of the previous movies made sense all the previous movies fit into the monster verse and this movie godzilla versus kong is so far out in left field and it's just like where's real 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 sci-fi movie this where everyone every other movie was kind of set in, yeah in set in some kind of reality yeah i know again like you just said oh it's a monster movie you know but it was a monster movie that was trying to be realistic especially that right. first one that first one was so grounded in reality yeah and it was i get i know monsters aren't going to rise out of the sea well, yes. I, bloody ho- I bloody hope not anyway like so <laughs> like, but, but still like even if you th- look at films like pacific rim okay pacific rim is incredibly far-fetched yes i understand that but it's still sort of made sense in the world of that that they kind of set forth for the audience Mm. there was a threat of monsters humanity decided that they were going to counter the monster threat by building bigger monsters so that made sense and in this one it's just like this this movie had elements that they pulled from pacific rim when sort of the the serizawa was to me like drifting almost like they did in pacific rim he's sitting inside of one of uh gadira's skulls and controlling mecha godzilla it it's this movie's a mess and it it, like it's upsetting because like i expected more and not to not to say that i you know this movie should be oscar no every movie is not oscar worthy i get that and and that's perfectly fine but Given the three movies that came before this, I expected better. There's way too much camp in this movie. It's it's so campy and so cheesy. And I don't even understand what the point of bringing Millie Bobby Brown and um, Zemaine Bashir and Brian Tyree Henry, what, what purpose did that trio serve? Because all they did was get caught up in monster in the villain's lab and like have comedic relief lines that's it oh yeah and they, well to be honest if they hadn't thrown that cup of water or whatever it was into the computer they kind of saved the day so their whole setup was that they ended up throwing some well, i think it was water or something or other it was into, whiskey yeah sorry i thought it was alcohol but i couldn't remember what it was yeah. but they threw it into some machine and that basically sh- then somehow short circuited it gave godzilla and uh, king kong like a split second to, to to try and beat mecha godzilla it was like but if they hadn't have done that if they had a bit if that whole setup for Millie bobby brown the other two guys being there you know but anyway like so to jump back a bit you know king kong somehow on skull island is trapped in some i don't know virtual prison which they explain that away by saying 
that the storm oh, yeah. that had originally surrounded the island shifted. And yeah. when the storm shifted, it wiped out the people and Gia was the only survivor. So they built the habitat over what was left of Skull Island and kept Kong inside of it. No, I know, but I mean... It's weird, though. It's very weird. It was a weird, it was a weird disorientating thing to jump straight into, considering yeah. the, Kong Skull, the Kong movie, sorry, Skull Island, was a really good movie. And mm-hmm. then just to be jumped in... Almost felt like it was like, okay, well, we don't care about now any of that movie. We just need King Kong. Yeah. We don't we don't care about what happened on Sky Island. And and then they got this whole thing about how, and this again to me didn't make sense, how they needed to drop Kong through this hole in the floor, well, in the ocean or wherever it was, <laughs> the ground or whatever, so that they could go through to apparently there's this Hollow whole Earth. other place, yeah, called Hollow Earth. And I was just like, what? But see, again, that is another thing that they lifted right out of Pacific Rim because that was the reason that the first bomb that they had set off underwater didn't close the rift was because the rift only responded to kaiju DNA. So basically what they were saying in, in Godzilla versus Kong was the same thing. Like you have to have a Titan's DNA to break this seal to get to the hollow earth that's why people couldn't do it so they had to have kong so that they could literally just like follow him through the seal yeah no i, I, I get i got that it's bit, weird though I, like i got that bit but i was a bit i thought this hollow earth thing it basically what it, what it was is they were trying to find a way to pit to put kong and godzilla up against each other so i felt the setup for kong and godzilla fighting each other was very weak yeah. So Godzilla ends up, uh, sorry, King Kong ends up in this hollow earth thing and it, it, it's where his origin of his, you know, his, his descendants are from. And then, and then somehow then the people that have taken him there, they kind of do some drilling in the ground and then it kind of upsets Godzilla. And then he ends up firing his breath into the ground. And then Godzilla ends up, sorry, King Kong ends up going through this hole and, and then Godzilla and King Kong end up having a massive fight. Now that fight was amazing. Like, yeah. And I thought, if I our apologies this, to Hong Kong. What what a uh, lovely city! I enjoyed my time there. I'm sorry you got destroyed. <laughs> oh, yeah. But do you know, what? I thought to myself, it's a shame I wasn't in the big screen for this because I thought the the fight scene, that last twenty minutes of fight scene, was amazing. Yeah. But I thought we've got this two hour movie where you've you've done what you did in the first movie. You've spent the whole movie setting it up for yes, an amazing fight scene. But you called it Godzilla versus King Kong. Like not yeah. Godzilla versus King Kong for ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, then, so, and they and then kind they, of fight at the beginning too, uh, when they're trying to get Kong out of Skull Island and yeah, over it was a very to brief. Yeah. Yeah, but it so that whole sequence at the beginning made sense, and and that's what uh, Rebecca Hall's character, Doctor Andrews, had been saying the whole time. She was like, "Look, we, th- the way that we understand Titans and Godzilla specifically is he responds to." titan threats and as long as kong is here on skull island completely isolated from everyone else godzilla doesn't see him as a threat and she said as soon as we take kong away from skull island godzilla is going to come for us because godzilla is going to sense that there is a threat even if kong is not intentionally being threatening um so i thought that that battle uh on the water was was pretty exciting too because also, like the, the military didn't get as involved in this one as it had been in the previous films, which I thought, I don't know, maybe they learned their lesson and to just kind of let the Titans fight. I did love the war fight, by the way, like yeah. with Kong, Godzilla. And um, mm-hmm. it, it does make me think, though, to be honest, though, Godzilla 
does kick King Kong's ass pretty much every time. Yeah. So it, by the way, if we're if we're keeping score, I was right because I was always Team Godzilla. Yeah, I I I think Godzilla came across a bit smaller, although he's more intelligent. I think because he can pick up weapons and uh, maybe it's that humanoid part of him. You mean Kong? He, Sorry, Kong, yeah, Kong. And also the fact that he can communicate with the deaf girl mm-hmm. and he, he was able to do sign language also understand sign language as well. I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah. I thought it was good to add that element of King Kong to him. Yeah. So um, I also just want to say it's pretty cool that Carl Chandler has now been in two King Kong movies. <laughs> so been in the original Peter Davison uh, movie, what was it, 2005 or something? Did you see that film? Yes, with uh, Jack Black and Naomi yeah. Watts. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that movie, actually. I thought it was really cool. It was bad. Yeah. It was better than this movie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, although I do think it's really cool that the actress who plays Gia, uh, Kaylee Hotley, she actually is deaf. She comes from a deaf family. Um, so that was that was a nice touch to, to get an actual deaf actress to play a deaf, uh, deaf character. I don't know how you would repair this movie, but for me... I would have got rid of the Mecha Godzilla. That was stupid. Um, I think you can keep Mecha because oh I no. think the only way to, you have to have some greater evil because oh no, there has well, to be a moment no, where it's okay, like the enemy okay. of my enemy is my friend. No, no, yeah, no, I get that. And I liked that moment. But what I was thinking would have been better. Now, again, I didn't really like the Hollow Earth thing. But if you kept the Hollow Earth thing, would it not have been cool for King Kong to have gone down there and then he finds something far worse mm-hmm. like you know so maybe have the whole godzilla versus king kong thing right at the very beginning like maybe you could have had that that the humans took him to hollow earth so the better so a better storyline would have been to take king kong to hollow earth to save him like they're like look you know we need to get godzilla somewhere else because mm-hmm. whilst there's two titans which godzilla and king kong are they're both going to keep fighting each other and destroying property and all the rest of it so well, we've also got, you know, they could say, well, you know, we've got this other place that we could go. We've been struggling to get there. You know, maybe even do that whole kaiju DNA thing. You know, we can yeah. go down there. We can take him down there. We'll go with him. Um, you know, they want to do a bit of exploring. And then almost a bit like an alien presence. Maybe they're down there. And, and then whilst they're down there, suddenly they discover something far worse than Monster Zero. If um, there's another movie, I think that would be the plot of this next movie since they have finally introduced hollow earth and there were a couple of like monsters that they fought down in hollow earth uh but yeah i think that would definitely definitely be something going kind of going forward and that's kind of what i thought was like if they had then then king kong and godzilla could have teamed up against something bigger than monster zero from there but i just the the mecha godzilla and the whole like you say, the whole uh, drifting thing and yeah. all that nonsense. I was like, how have we gone from this really grounded yes. movie with Brian Cranston in the first movie that was trying to be actually a serious horror yeah. monster movie to this piece of crap that's come yeah. out now? Like, so I'm really using Well, but the problem it. is so. you need a good villain, period. You need a good villain to make these kinds of movies work. And... You in the in the first Godzilla film, the 2014 film, you had the Muto, which oh, yeah. was sort of destructive and just indiscriminate in what it was doing, but it was also kind of more powerful than Godzilla up until the very end. So the Muto was a good villain in the first film. In Skull Island, Samuel L. Jackson was a fantastic villain, plus you had the skull crawlers, which also made good monster villains. 
in the third one, you had Ghidorah, who was a great villain. And you also had Charles Dance and uh, Vera Farmiga as good human villains. In this film, you don't have a good villain. And that is the problem. There's nothing to really anchor anything because a good villain is the glue that holds these kinds of films together. I was going to say, Charles, Charles Dance, he's the one who, as you see at the end, isn't it, in the second, uh, the last film, um, with the uh, with the head. Monster Zero's head, yeah. Yes. And I was disappointed he wasn't in this film. So yeah. I was like, well, why was he not in this film? Because he's the one who probably would have initiated this whole... I'm sure thing. his people read the script and they were like, hell no, we're not passing this on to our client. We passed, uh, thanks. <laughs> so, I, yeah, because I was like, well, surely he would be the guy in charge of the Mecha Godzilla. And yeah, so the whole, like, creation so. of Apex Cybernetics... It, it was just a bit much. And uh, th- that entire Apex cybernetics plot with Brian Tyree Henry and the guy who plays the, the head of Apex, it was so campy and it was so bad that it reminded me of Transformers, which <laughs> I love Transformers. Don't get me wrong. I do. I love the first Transformers movie, but Transformers to me has always been teetering on the edge of kind of cheesy because literally they're cars that turn into robots. Like how could you ever take that seriously? But the amount of camp in this film was so misplaced it was just completely completely out of place for the entire series this film doesn't fit with the rest of the series i you know i didn't go into this like we said at the very start expecting an oscar movie but i did expect it considering the last three mm-hmm. even though we did feel the first one was a bit boring i still thought it was a good movie like it it had a good cast it had a good plot and structure to it I did want, I did expect this to have the same type of feel, but this didn't feel like it was connected really. No, other than, not at all. Other, other than two or three characters from the last yep. film coming over, it didn't feel, it felt, it felt like a different franchise almost. Yeah. I know. It, this felt like a, something complete. There, there's, there's no tension. There was no buildup. There was, there was no nothing to actually draw you in as a viewer. The only reason people watch this film all the way to the end is because they really were hedging their bets on who was going to win in a in a hand to hand fight between Godzilla and Kong. That's it's it. definitely Godzilla. Yes. Yeah. So if it's, just, I... it's wild, like it it was it was disappointing because, like you said, you get used to the the franchise, and the first film, too many humans, not enough monsters. The second film was. All, just right it's well like balanced, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the second film was good you had the monster empathy and then the humans actually turned it out to be the monsters the third film it's a little monster heavy but it's still good because there's an emotional balance between the humans and the monsters in the third movie and in this film it's just i don't know what the hell they were doing in this film no no not so i think if i I own this as a DVD, it would become a coaster. (laughs) (laughs) I I would not buy this on DVD at all. I I don't even think that I would rewatch this. Whereas whenever I catch Skull Island, I watch it. Like if if I'm flipping through the channels and Skull Island is on one of the channels, I will stop on Skull Island and watch it every single time. Yeah, Skull Island is probably, out of these four movies, I'd say Skull Island is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Mine too. So... It just bums me out. Like, it, it, I, I want it more for this MonsterVerse, and it doesn't even have an after-credit scene. Like, it's the only film that doesn't have an after-credit scene, which kind of makes me, I don't know. It makes me sad because I really kind of wanted it to continue, and I would have loved to see what this movie does if it can tie into the uh, Pacific Rim universe. And I can definitely see where they were going. Like I said, there's there's drifting, there's 
there's all kinds of things that they they elements of Pacific Rim that I could see in this film. Um, and I think that was probably their problem. They couldn't they couldn't decide what they wanted to be. So the campiness worked in Pacific Rim, probably because Guillermo del Toro is a much better sort of director writer. So he probably kept yeah. everything together a little bit better. Uh, but also like that's that's a genre that he's familiar with. And that's a genre that he's good at dealing with. And and this film, it just, you're not Guillermo del Toro. Like, this is, <laughs> like, you can't do what he does. Maybe they should have brought him in. Oh, man. Now, if they if they do another film in this franchise and it has him trying to, I, I would I would watch it camp and all. Yeah. I mean, I, I, then, you know, for me, rewatching this movie, the only thing that would make me be interested in watching this movie would be to, just watched the fight at the very end, Godzilla versus Kong. I yeah. probably wasn't too bothered about the rest of it. But do you know what actually I would say is when they went to Hollow Earth, and again, I, the Hollow Earth thing was just, I just don't get why they put it in. But <laughs> however, when they did go to Hollow Earth, and I thought that was pretty cool, like the whole imagery of seeing in the sky land, because it's obviously Hollow Earth is meant to be underneath right. whatever, wherever you are in, in the world there is apparently another realm of earth underneath Mm -hmm. and because it's all around the world and there's some sort of gravity thing that's in in flux or something like that so you could be standing on in the sky or you could be standing on the floor uh and i thought that was pretty cool but when they found the chamber that king kong's ancestors come from yeah and he got the axe Oh, yeah, and he got the axe. But when the ships all landed and everything, I was like, I love stuff like this. I love, it kind of, it did make me think of Aliens a little bit, landing in this sort of of real alternate world and this whole mysterious world. And I thought this would be something, and if they do make a fifth movie, exploring Hollow Earth would be pretty cool. And that's a little, so when the movie ends, they have set up a camp at Hollow Earth Mm -hmm. and King Kong has been relocated to Hollow Earth. So, it could be that the next film's set on Hollow Earth. Maybe they've got a human um, civilization. Maybe we won't have Millie Bobby Brown carrying on, but it could be Alexander Skarsgård and and sort of some of those characters are there. Yeah. Somehow Godzilla's going to have to go get down down there and back uh, King Kong yeah. up. But yeah, that might be quite a good fifth movie. Maybe King Kong is the sort of the champion, and maybe Godzilla just kind of rocks up at the end. Yeah, and it's mainly a King Kong movie because we've only had one King Kong movie set like standalone. Yeah, so, or it could be like what Godzilla did, where he kind of shot his you know nuclear breath or whatever into the ground. So he's keeping an eye on whatever the threat is at hollow earth making sure that it doesn't make it to the surface while king kong is fighting this thing in the hollow earth that could if there is another movie i will watch it a hundred percent oh yeah i would yeah. but as far as this movie as a standalone i did not i did not enjoy it at all it was just it was too disjointed it was too it was just a mess and it and it had a super super weak villain which is is I always say this, no matter what I'm watching, whether it's TV or reading books, it doesn't matter what the medium is, but if you don't have a good villain, you don't have a good story. Mm-hmm. So let's bring that to a close and hopefully never talk about it again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we rated it. We, 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 we kind of rated it probably higher than it deserves at two out of five. So <laughs> Anyway, this week's recommendations are brought to you by Image Comics. Yes. So, <laughs> the first Unintentionally, of- by the way. I didn't know Mark was recommending an Image comic too. 
Geiger issue one by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank from Image Comics came out this week. It's set 20 years after a nuclear war, although you kind of flash back a little bit and see some of its origins. It follows the survivors of the nuclear war who live in different places. So we've got the Las Vegas Strip and the hotels have kind of been changed into kingdoms. And we've got a Joffrey-esque character sitting on one of the thrones. And then we also have our main character, Tariq Geiger, who becomes a pretty much radioactive man. And him and his family get separated in the flashback and they get into the bunker, all of his his, family, his wife and kids and stuff like that. However, he gets left behind with his dog when the nuclear bomb goes off. And he's become this sort of radioactive man, superhero that kind of sort of lives in the wastelands in, in, the, in, in, in Vegas. However, he... Well, I say he's a hero. He kind of the only hero bit he is is kind of looking after his family here in this bunker, and he and he sort of says in the in the in the comic that you know he'll you know they'll be reunited one day when they're safe to do so. So in the in the wastelands and everywhere, it's all it's radioactive. So in the hotels, I'm assuming they've done something to make it radioactive proof because there's a scene at the, on the last page where there's sort of glass tunnels between each hotel that you can i guess walk between the i'm assuming radioactive safe uh however no i really enjoyed the, uh, the comic it was i i thought it was well written by jeff and i love gary frank's art ever since but i think the first thing i ever read with him was kin or or gen 13 or something like mm-hmm. that but no, this is a really good comic i really recommend it so i'll, I'll stop talking about that now but yes i think it's worth picking up uh, my recommendation this week is another image comic. It is called Two Moons. The first issue came out at the end of February. Um, Two Moons is written by John Arcudi and it is illustrated by Valerio John Giordano. Um, so this book sort of takes place in the middle of a civil of the Civil War, where we the main character is a Native American. He's a, a of the Pawnee tribe. His name is. Um, Virgil Morris, but uh, it it in in his native tongue, his name is Two Moons. Um, it's interesting because it's kind of like a horror comic where he has this crazy mystical ability to see the evil within, or to see things that are on the other side, whether that's ghosts or demons or monsters or whatever you want to call them. Um, so he is. Uh, fighting for the union against the confederacy and there's a scene where he's at a military hospital and he sees his grandfather uh, and he talks to him and everything and they have a conversation and then the next thing he knows it's like he blinks and then he's looking at his grandfather's dead body and a nurse comes up and it's kind of like oh did you know this man because we found him a few days ago and we could just kind of sat with him there was nothing we could do and he died and so Two Moons is kind of like, he, I just talked to him. What do you mean he died? Um, so it's it's interesting. And then there's another scene where he's fighting on the battlefield and uh, he sees one of his fellow Union soldiers turn into this crazy looking monster that is just like hell bent on murdering anything that gets in its path. Uh, so it's it's it seems really interesting so far. The uh, artwork is incredibly graphic. Of course, it's a civil war, so there's there's lots of death and dead bodies. Um, but the art is it's blood and dismembered people and gunshot wounds. It's just 
it's it's crazy uh but it's it's kind of interesting and i, I want to keep reading except i don't like to read scary things at night so uh <laughs> i will not be reading the next issue until probably tomorrow morning <laughs> so the third issue comes out on the 28th of april so yeah, just yeah. two two issues so far but right third issue soon and yeah I, yeah, I'm, I do not. I love the front cover of the first issue. Yeah. So I, it is something that I'd seen and was, had an interest in. But yeah, yeah it's something that, that I wanted to pick up because I, I picked up a bunch of other books like at the actual comic shop uh, that week that the first one came out, which was February 24th. Um, but my comic shop had already run out by the time I got there. So finally, finally got my hands on it and read it. Um, so yeah, Two Moons. That's my recommendation for this week. So next week, we're going to be reviewing the whole season of Pacific Rim, The Black, which is an anime TV series on Netflix. We're also going to be reviewing the first two episodes of Kung Fu on the CW. And as a reminder, we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our fifth Late to the Party Book Club episode was March Volume 1 by Andrew Iden and the late Congressman John Lewis. That episode dropped in February. Our next book club episode is coming out in April, at the very end of April. Um, and it's going to be Akira Volume 1 by Kazuhiro Otomo. Uh, you can follow us on social media as well. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast, obviously, everywhere. But you can also follow us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Podbean, Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn. We are everywhere. So be sure to give us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks for listening and stay geeky. Bye.